when you see that abortion is banned to the point of a vigilante system being put in place, even for cases of rape and incest, that is so fucked up that eventually people will see how, how just awful that is for themselves, their loved ones, their family members, their friends, their siblings, spouses, children, on and on. Like, Abortion is not something that is distant. It is something that is actually very close to every single one of us. Hey, it's me, Chance, and thanks for listening to us discuss this very important issue with feminist professor Dr. Corey Wong regarding the state of Texas outlawing abortions after six weeks of pregnancy. As well, peppered throughout, are some really great conversations I had with people on the street downtown on their thoughts. We have a bunch of really cool stuff on the way. It will be speaking with Dr. John Arden. He's the author of the 2003 book, America's Meltdown, Lowest Common Denominator Society. A few years ago, I chatted with Dr. Arden about the first chapter of his book, and we compared and contrasted what he wrote in 2003 to where we were in 2019 when we had that discussion. This time, we're going to be doing the same thing, except with chapter two, Cyberspaced. Following that, we'll be speaking with Dr. Christopher Wright, from the University of Sydney Business School in Australia, and also the author of Climate Change, Capitalism and Corporations, Processes of Creative Self-Destruction. Included in that discussion will also be Dr. Lori Adkin of the Department of Political Science and Environmental Studies at the University of Alberta in Canada, who's authored several books on climate change and capitalism, such as Regime of Obstruction, How Corporate Power Blocks Energy Democracy. We'll be speaking with both authors on the subject of how free market capitalism gets in the way of addressing global climate change. In a few weeks, we'll be discussing the toxicity of conspiracy theories and how they're detrimental when it comes to discussing social and political issues. We'll be talking with Mikey Biddlestone, a grad student from the School of Psychology at the University of Kent in the UK. Biddlestone is in his final year pursuing his PhD and has published research on the psychology of conspiracy theories. Currently, I'm setting up an interview with Merle Allen, the brother of the infamous Gigi Allen, and still the bass player for the Murder Junkies. The late Gigi Allen is widely considered the most extreme figure in rock and roll history and makes Marilyn Manson look like the Donnie and Marie show. Bold statement, yes, but if you don't believe me, look him up. I know you've got to have some weird questions, so send them our way. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and listen to us at iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and pretty soon Spotify. If you want to show your appreciation for our work and what we do, I don't ask for anything other than for you to do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes and Spotify. Finally, check us out at punk-journalism.com. We're talking with Dr. Wong. She's a feminist philosophy professor previously with CSU, right? Colorado State? Mm-hmm. Okay. I follow you on, on, on a couple different social media accounts and I've noticed that you've had a lot of perspectives and opinions on, on the new Texas law banning abortion before many women even know they're pregnant before six weeks. And I noticed that you had a lot of opinions about this. You're pretty fired up about it. I don't see a whole lot of social media activity from you, but I definitely saw a lot from that. So I want like Chris and I were talking about as guys, I feel like we don't really have a whole lot of say in this matter other than to support women's autonomy. This is from an NPR article uh, by Jacqueline Diaz. It says, legislation banning abortions after six weeks is now the law of the land in Texas, effectively ending Roe v. Wade protections in the state. 
in a move that surprised some high court watchers. The U.S. Supreme Court didn't act on emergency requests to stop the law from taking effect by midnight Tuesday. It allowed the police to go ahead despite court challenges. On Wednesday, President Biden called the law extreme and said it blatantly violates the constitutional right to abortion, adding that his administration will protect and defend that right. The Texans law passed in May bans all abortions in the state after about six weeks of pregnancy, well before many women even know that they're pregnant. The policy conflicts with the Supreme Court's precedents, which prohibits states from banning abortion before fetal viability, usually between 22 and 24 weeks of pregnancy. Texas's new law is one of the most strict abortion bans in the nation. It also allows private citizens to sue abortion providers and anyone who helps a woman obtain an abortion, including those who give a woman a ride to a clinic or provide financial assistance, that's crazy, in obtaining an abortion. Private citizens who bring these suits don't need to show any connection to those they're suing. If they prevail, the law entitles them to a minimum of $10,000 in damages plus attorney fees. As a woman, how did you feel about this when this news, because it has kind of been developing for a while? Yeah, it has been developing for a while. And um, I think that abortion is one of the issues that I will like go down for (laughs) because I believe in it so strongly. Mm -hmm. Um, As a philosopher, I have to approach the topic from different questions and angles. And one of the things that um, always occurs to me is the role the word abortion plays in the social consciousness of what people think we're talking about. Um, And I think that that's one of the biggest challenges for advancing this conversation because it becomes really a battle of empty ideology from one side that's filled with a lot of, I think, Chris, in our pre-chat, you were talking about hypocrisy, but I think it's just inconsistency and vague values. Um, And I'm referring to like evangelical, conservative, right-wing kind of approaches that have co-opted abortion as a recent topic for political weight in just recent decades since the church and um, the political platforming around abortion has really been shifting in recent decades in order to um, recover some political ground that wasn't always so entrenched and wrapped up in the, the discourse that is used to propagate so much misinformation, misunderstanding, stigmatization, and truly cruel and brutal prohibitions at this point in time. Um, that affect countless, countless people. And I will, um, so anyway, there's, there's a lot that I think about. So from like a high level, that's one about like what abortion is, the way that the word gets used, the way the word's been co-opted by the right to -hmm. become this kind of boogeyman sort of evil, evil um, force that, that people will rally around. Like abortion is one of those most contentious issues. Um, that when we talk about, I don't even know, like class or labor workers rights kind of stuff, like when people vote against their own interests, um, abortion is one of those for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, That I think is just like, to me, it's really difficult to reconcile the dissonance that comes from trying to understand, like, how can people be so, so fervent in their opposition to abortion when this is another piece of this great scenery Um, when people say abortion, I think the majority of people who will go to the streets and, or call a hotline now to give an anonymous tip to try to penalize someone for a 
assisting someone and getting an abortion, they don't even know what abortion is. They don't even know what it is that we're actually having an argument against. And, and so how would you clarify that? Mystification and the grand narrative that I can only imagine is embedded in people's heads to imagine this horrible atrocity of murdering babies right. so that we have to protect the unborn at all costs um, is this incredibly disingenuous, super, super violent um, picture that gets painted that is just not rooted in reality. Mm-hmm. So there's one angle we could take, which is kind of dispelling a lot of that or exploring what is an incredibly persuasive perception of reality that has moved plenty of people into like mobilized plenty of people to be so-called pro-life or anti-abortion to the extent that that is like their number one issue. Like I say, it's my, one of my issues that I will go down for. Um, And then there's the other side where I'd really like to talk about how um, we can expand what abortion is so that we can kind of cut it, cut away at the knees of the, the big bad word of abortion and normalize it, destigmatize it and really contextualize it in the context of people's lives, the health of communities, the health of an economic landscape for the um, nation or the world from climate justice to racial justice, to health justice, mm-hmm. to talking about um, agency and autonomy, which is a word you use chance to also like understanding just how natural and common and necessary abortion is for our way of life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a- so like we can take away the boogeyman and really talk about that way. And I also think we need to flesh out the reality yeah. of why abortion is a critical necessary sure. service, a form of healthcare that should always remain safe, legal, and accessible to everyone who wants one. So tell me what you what your thoughts are. Um, well, I think it's ridiculous that a bunch of men are gonna tell women what to do with their bodies. I also think that it's ridiculous that you are going to classify abortion under one blanket instead of considering all of the different potential reasons somebody might need an abortion, including medical reasons. So I'm wildly against it. Or rape. That's excluded, right? Well, and you brought up a good point because when you said that about men legislating what women can do, and this has been like a really hard topic for me to to tackle for that reason. And I feel like the only reason I can have a say in it is because I want, I think men should aggressively defend women's autonomy. Um, what do you? But they don't. Well, I mean, not all. Ninety-five percent. What do you think that this might lead to as far as it being in Texas now? Do you foresee it becoming more federal? It's Texas. So they're very, <laughs> they're very, very conser- conservative. So it's, it's not going to change in Texas. It, it, it will never change in Texas. I, I absolutely do not think that this would ever go federal because I think there are so many stipulations and I actually think it's kind of embarrassing for the state of Texas to put so much energy forth to regulate how a woman is going to handle something that is specifically related to their body instead of focusing that time and money and resources into things like 
welfare resources. Um, why do people have abortions in the first place? Let's start there. Instead of, you know, fixing this thing that you think is wrong at the end, why don't we look at the lead measures? Rape, uh, you know, lack of access to birth control, lack of education. Um, there are so many things that can be dealt with before going to regulate how a woman is allowed to handle what she's going through in her own life and her body. But the other crazy thing is, is that, you know, it's just like outlying drugs, outlying alcohol, things like that. What's going to happen? We're going to see unsafe abortions. We're going to see people coming to states like Colorado to find safe abortion alternatives. And then when, if that were to become something that's federally regulated, you're going to start to see people going to places like Mexico and other countries. And then it's going to get more unsafe and you're going to find more women becoming sterile. Like it's really, really like an interesting approach deciding, Hey, you can't have an abortion instead of, Hey, why are we having so many abortions and what can we, what programs can we put in place to stop those Educate instead of regulate? Yeah. Well, and so you made a really good point that I also brought up on the podcast about how conservative ideologies like this, they're very short-sighted where they think that they can legislate their virtues or their morals, but they don't look at the long-term, like you said, of like, well, can we look at the root of why this is an issue in the first place? What, what socially can be done? And then if we're going to mandate that these women carry pregnancy to full term, are we going to offer any sort of, you know, yeah. And then they're going to be chastised for that as well. You know? Yeah. That's a great point. Getting welfare? Well, welfare, not anymore. Well, it, no, the it, problem is okay, you stop abortions. What money are you putting into the welfare programs that are going to account for how many babies are going to be born without the, the resources to raise them? Because a big part of abortion is people aren't ready. You know, maybe they're put into circumstances where they shouldn't be having a baby and it was unplanned. What are you going to do after the baby is born? Oh, I'm sorry. Does it just alleviate your guilt as a uh, Christian or a Catholic to make sure that that baby is born? But now what? Now what? The baby's born. Is your guilt gone? You don't care now? So where are you going to put the symmetrical amount of resources into what happens after the baby is born? Yeah, and it's unfortunate Ricky's not here because something that he hits on quite a bit is he makes a really good point that conservatives are a lot better at branding than liberals. So they say that they're pro-life. Well, nobody wants to be anti-life. If you, if you say you're pro-life, that also means that you can't be pro-death penalty. Um, say you're pro-fetus or you're pro-birth. Like uh, George Carlin used to say, he'd say, quote, pro-life conservatives are obsessed with the fetus from, from conception to nine months. But after that, they don't want to know about you and they don't want to hear from you. No nothing, no neonatal care, no daycare, no Head Start, school lunches, no food stamps, no welfare, nothing. If you're pre-born, you're fine. If you're preschool, you're fucked. And it's like, yeah, they are all all about protecting a quote-unquote life up until birth. But then at that point, they're on their own from that point forward. Like, you know, if they're going to mandate this, then they should also offer some sort of sort of support at the same time because a lot of these are circumstances where women just are unfortunately unequipped to take care of a child well if you're going to make it so that she has to carry it to full term then also provide some sort of assistance or support or well, you know that, man that also brings up go ahead the man. point of the point of what is the economic impact of making abortion 
illegal or very difficult to get is that I guarantee you a state that can't even keep its own power grid going doesn't have the infrastructure built up to support all of the uh, babies that are now going to be born that they can't afford to keep them. And the statistics show that the majority of women getting abortions are living under the poverty level in the United States. So they can't afford to have a baby. They can't afford to do those things. This is just one aspect of it. So we have to have the infrastructure in place to take care of that. And in the state of Texas, I went back and got 2019 data because of the simple fact I didn't want it skewed because of COVID. In 2019, 38% of abortions, which was the highest ethnicity uh, performed, were on Mexican females. So if you look at those statistics, the majority of people getting abortions in the state of Texas, by the way, number two on that list were uh, black people. The if you look at the people getting abortions, it's not the people that can afford to have children, it's the people that cannot afford to have children. Therefore, these are these children are going to have to become children or going are going to have to become wards of the state. That state has to have the funds set aside in order to accomplish this. So that's another aspect uh, that I would like to look at, you know, from that perspective on the on the entire topic. And then as far as any individual input as a man i can't understand any of that and uh, as i shouldn't i would never ever tell a woman what she should or should not do with her body so that that's the only perspective i can have from that so there's just so much to unpack with this topic honestly um i'm picturing a pie of like 30 slices <laughs> like take take whichever bite you want because Again, in some ways, this is a far more complex systemic issue and narrowing in on just abortion, I think is a little bit misleading too, because um, it naturally calls in other conditions that are um, like we talk environment, economics, family life, like health, there's the what the state can carry as if the state wants to deal with a bunch of unwanted children anyway, like I think the way that this um, issue gets twisted and convoluted is that there are all these like pseudo justifications or pseudo scenarios that could play out that are not realistic. Like that, that this is just not realistic. That's not what's going to happen. If we have um, low income people of color who are going to be the most violently affected by this ban they won't be the only ones affected because I really want to try to move away from the narrative that it's just poor people of color who get abortions. That is just not true. Um, there are plenty of people who are conservative, white, wealthy, and Christian who also get abortions. Um, but the, the people who are going to be the most devastatingly impacted in negative and harmful, violent ways are the people who don't have access to resources mm -hmm. outside of the existing systems that are going to be imposed, not by the state, but by a vigilante kind of justice system that is really calling in something far more, um, I don't know, draconian than like even I could have imagined when I was thinking, oh, shoot, the Supreme Court's really going to try to overturn Roe v. Wade in the next couple of years. The fact that there's um, this kind of cultural element of like a neighborhood watch is just so fucked up like it's just it's beyond messed up for all sorts of reasons but i think it is important to recognize the people who are the most impacted because of the violence of this ban and when i talk about that i mean death 
rates, um, economic hardship, health considerations, uh, the strain on family, psychological, physical well-being, all of the above. So abortion is like a keyword, a catchphrase, a boogeyman buzzword that can rally a bunch of people. And it's not just that word. So when I talk about abortion or reproductive health, justice and rights, I'm actually advocating for systemic support that isn't just these unwanted babies that are now going to have to be born mm -hmm. out of some, what, nebulous, ambiguous, disembodied vessel. No, these are fucking people who have whole lives, who have to go through every single day in their bodies with a pregnancy or not. And the other thing that I, I, when I think about abortion, something that is really powerful for me, um, that's kind of like a, I think we have to have the mental capacity and the empathy to be able to recognize that all of these hypothetical pseudo narratives of what could or will happen now because of this ban or what the ban protects and the sanctity that it's trying to preserve, all these just like made up things are truly myths. And what is so challenging about abortion is that when it is safe, legal and accessible for people to have access to when they want it to make their own choices for themselves, their families, with their doctors, then we as the outsiders don't see that. It's none of our fucking business, which is why Roe v. Wade was established for the sake of privacy. It's kind of a weird thing to say privacy because I don't want it to just be one single word, but it's something that we as other people have no business and no right to know about. And because of that, that means that we don't see the impact, the flourishing, the abundance, the health, the well-being, the family security, the stability that comes from abortion access. Because all we see is the status quo being able to maintain itself. When you put an abortion ban in place, you disrupt the reality as it is and force and impose a different extreme kind of condition on a body, on a family, on a community, on a system. And instead with abortion access intact, what we have is something that actually enables our lives to continue in a somewhat reasonable, feasible manner on a systemic level. So as a philosopher, I would say abortion is tricky because we don't have a counterfactual reality to compare it to, except for the pre-Roe v. Wade days, which we know were horrible. If we read any kinds of accounts of the extent people would go to to get abortions and how lethal those sometimes were. Exactly. And, and it's, to me, listening to that, I equate making abortion illegal to the same as the war on drugs no matter how much you try to make it illegal and put all of these systems in place to prevent it from happening, it's still going to happen, correct? Yeah, there's a lot of different parallels. So like the war on drugs, for instance, if you want to go that route is like, okay, what happened with the war on drugs? It's, Entire it, it, communities it's, were it's incarcerated. Yeah. Absolutely. Families and it's increased, it's increased drug use in the United States as well. And yeah, so what we did is prop up an entire system of incarceration through this criminal justice and devastated entire communities, largely those of color. Yeah. And meanwhile, no, we're not stopping drugs, but now look what happens. A couple decades later, it's a boon and people are making billions of dollars off of a market of legalizing marijuana. And now like decriminalizing and destigmatizing drugs, even to the point of having their medicinal qualities being acknowledged and to a certain extent, 
So it's not as if like drugs were always bad and it's not as if abortion's always bad, but then the narrative gets spun in a way that has all these dramatic systemic effects that build up to devastating consequences. Mm. One, the example I would do as a parallel for abortion is actually about vaccination and public health. That when the pandemic started, the one of the risks of having social distancing and masking and actually giving these social parameters for people to follow is that if people followed those well, then we wouldn't have a huge spike in COVID uh, sickness, infections, and fatalities. And then people would say like, oh my God, we didn't even need those masks. We didn't need to social distance. See, COVID was not a big deal at all. And so if you actually do the things the way that they could be done, the counter argument for it has more to argue against because they make it sound like it's not a big deal, right? When it's like, no, it's not a big deal because we've been doing things right. right. So with abortion, it's it for the people who don't understand the way that abortion access actually positively impacts their life. I want to put a pin in that because there's a lot to unpack there and I want to go there with you too. Um, but for people who don't understand that, when you see that abortion is banned to the point of a vigilante system being put in place, even for cases of rape and incest, that is so fucked up that eventually people will see how, how just awful that is for themselves, their loved ones, their family members, their friends, their siblings, spouses, children, on and on. Like abortion is not something that is distant. It is something that is actually very close to every single one of us. One of my, um, like, I think I have supported the National Network of Abortion Funds. They encourage everybody who wants to be an advocate and an ally to do the same. You can look up the National Network for Abortion Funds or even abortion funds in your own state, which are committed to providing access to people who need abortions. And there, there are plenty in Texas right now who need the support. But there's one phrase that is that everybody loves someone who's had an abortion. And the strange thing is that abortion has been so stigmatized to be something we don't talk about that most people don't know that there are so many people in your own life mm -hmm. who have experienced abortion. And I'm not just talking about women because I think it's also um, unhelpful for this conversation to center on women as if it's a women's issue for lots of reasons. Men, I, I appreciate Chris and Chance that you both have said like as men, we can't say what women should do. And sure, like just like shouldn't legislate other people's bodies. <laughs> but there is definitely a role for men to be speaking up about how abortion truly benefits your life yeah. too. Well, and that's kind of what we're here for, too, is just to use our platform as a sounding board for somebody like yourself to to express that. I feel like it is not good. <laughs> and why? <laughs> because it takes it. This is a personal choice that a woman gets to make with her doctor, and it is not up to it, there should never be, this is so not a black and white issue. There should never be something this black and white pertaining to this issue. It's just, there's so much gray. It, this law just doesn't allow for any, any shades of that. And there are many. That's something that I had a hard time finding when doing a lot of reading on this subject is like, I can't find any sort of justification as to why it's taking place. Like any kind of, not that it really matters, 
like well i mean what's the moral argument you know or is it just a political thing i don't know but i think the moral argument is people think that abortion should never happen and this is the way they can get as close to it as possible i think it's more that it's a the moral issue is a life is a life and it starts at conception whatever that is deemed to be defined as and so six weeks two hours one day it doesn't really matter and it's it's not about the baby it's not about the quote-unquote baby that might be a baby at some point. It's about the idea that there is a life that now the woman's life does not matter anymore. It is now dedicated to that thing rather than a person, a real person that already exists. So that's a little bit hypocritical, isn't it? Because if you say that you're pro-life, you should be concerned about the, the life of the woman carrying the child at the same time. Right? He says equally. Right. As- yeah. What, what are your thoughts? Ultimately, I think it's a safety issue because now they're not going to be able to get abortions. So they're going to be going other routes. Have to. Yeah. Yeah, revolutionary road style. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's a, another thing, too, is like just because something becomes a law, that doesn't mean people are just not going to do it. Last week for this discussion, we spoke to a uh, feminist philosopher named Corey Wong. And she was, you know, we had we we came, sort of came to the conclusion that what is the narrative are these like ghastly procedures that takes place well now they are certainly going to be ghastly procedures because people are going to do them anyway so it's a pretty heavy topic i know i can add i live in germany and to be honest female reproductive rights women's issues in general is one of the reasons that prevents me from considering coming back here it's healthcare tied in with women's issues and women's right to healthcare in addition to guns <laughs> and how many yeah how many firearms there are in this country yeah really interesting not on my radar it's one of those i could see myself moving back i have my entire family's here but it's just one of those things that i don't know if i can justify even if it it doesn't affect me directly just living in a place where that's an issue mm-hmm. i don't understand yeah. it yeah. it's it's a non-issue where i'm from people are still against it but people understand that personal choice matters more than a, a hypothetical life making a choice for somebody else yeah 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 well and an argument that i would like so people will say this is a state's rights issue that it should be determined state by state and that's such a cowardice argument i think it's like you're hiding because what trump's state's rights is is human rights and personal liberties so you know though that comes before everything so. i don't really care if it's a state or a federal right or law it just there shouldn't really be any blanket law especially that does not leave any wiggle room because there's so many situations you have any scientific justification someone someone created this quote-unquote heartbeat and it it is not a heart it's not a heartbeat that it's just not so (laughs) it's a clump of cells in me right now is there going to be a point where, oh, now you can't get a hysterectomy because you eventually there maybe could be a baby in there? Yeah. Like legs in your ovaries. You can't do anything with that. Yeah, what point is me just having a period? I am not a real woman because I'm having a period instead of having a baby. Well, sorry. I'm going to go drink whiskey. So <laughs> you don't want a baby in there. I mean, when, when I had my first abortion, um... The strangest thing happened. I mean, I'm not a very 
quiet person when something is shamed in silence i always wonder why is that the case mm-hmm. <laughs> why is it that this is a thing that gets shamed in silence why are white people there's usually their politics pearls? behind that production of our ignorance and our um uh, reticence that it serves a certain kind of purpose so i was more outspoken than most people would be especially largely in my like personal circles but when i started talking to the people who were closest to me What was really fascinating was that many people in my closest circles had experienced abortion themselves Mm -hmm. and no one knew about it because no one talked about it. But as soon as I started saying, Hey, guess what? Um, I'm in a situation here. It's not good. And I need to go through with this. Then the support came in the form of empathy. And it's just like when you yourself have something that you've carried your whole life thinking, Oh my God, this is so awful. I can't ever utter this to anybody else. But when you find someone who you can talk about it with, who understands, there's a sense of like relief of realizing you're not a monster and you're not alone. And there's also a sense of support that you can offer by saying like, hey, I've been there before too. And people are going through a difficult time, whether it's scary for any kind of reason, challenging for all types of reasons, or just, you know, something that they have to go through um support looks like a lot of things and one of the best forms of support is for people to know that they're not alone and so we have done a huge disservice to generations of people by refusing to talk openly and candidly about abortion as if it were what it is very common standard incredibly safe healthcare. you know and something i wasn't able to track down is I can't find any reason or justification as as to why the ban is is taking place. Is it I can't really find anybody speaking out morally saying that this is a, a better moral choice. It's it's a moot point regardless, but I just I guess that's that's something that's confusing too. Like there's not really an, a justification for it that I can find. Well, um before we go there, sorry, I wanted to wrap one last thing yeah, about yeah, what please. I was just saying about like talking about it. The people in my closest circles the majority of those people who had been through abortion before were men. Okay. That I don't think that people would assume that. And so I want to be really explicit that that's it. I, I automatically assumed that they were females. No, I, that, that, I would yeah, say so. there were two women, one of whom was from a friend of a friend. She was like, Oh, my friend went through this. And then about six men. Yeah. Well, and I've been through one and I think up until this point, you know, I was 18 and I think that there's maybe been uh, literally like three or four people I've ever said that to. So up until you mentioned that just now, I, I did just kind of think, oh, this is something that you just kind of keep to yourself and isn't expressed, you know, openly. Um, but yeah, no, you're totally right. Like, because I did really, you know, playing any role in it, I really felt bad about it just because I didn't have any way to kind of express that. And and get any kind of real support from people. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And, and I just wanted to touch on, you were kind of talking about, you know, pre Roe v. Wade and kind of how things are now and how safe it is. But what I want to know is where could we be if there were more lenient abortion restrictions were lifted off of abortion and we were able to utilize stem cell research and we were able to start you know using those to help fight against disease and things of that nature 
Um, well, so just back up a little bit, Chance, thanks for naming that and sharing your experience. I think that that's super important for men to do. Um, right. So I really appreciate that you just did that. And um, I hope it feels okay to share it because, and even if it doesn't, <laughs> I hope that that is something that other men can relate to, to recognize why have I been so reluctant to share? And then where is the power in my voice actually being open and courageous with naming this with other men and with other people, with family members, um, because there's so much to be advocated for. Um, like this is on October 2nd, there's going to be a, like national organizing for marches. And those are the kind of things where it's like, not just to support women as again, to just like code this in an inaccurate way. This is to support everyone, everyone's well-being. And if you care about yours and you care about the people who are closest to you and you care about fucking strangers, then it's something to talk about mm -hmm. openly and candidly because the most violent thing about this whole situation is the way that complacency has enabled it to just propel to where we are right now. And so um, where we could be Chris, your question, I mean, sure, yeah, stem cell research, help everyone. That's like what gets done like already. But beyond that, like, um, I again, it doesn't have to be some kind of like so sci-fi utopian thing or anything. I, I don't know what people's imaginations do when they think about abortion, honestly, because all you have to do is read some real concrete experiences of people, like actual lived experiences, and realize that human bodies do not produce perfect human bodies every single time even if they want to um and so in the best case scenario for someone who is safe stable secure ready willing wanting to have a baby and bring it into the most ideal conditions things can still go awry and in those situations to force someone to carry out a pregnancy in the most ideal conditions that is not viable, that has life debilitating or even fatal complications for the baby. Um, that is a death cult. Like that mm -hmm. is a cult for suffering. I don't know any other way to put it. I think that the, the right for so many of the kinds of chance when you're like, what's the moral argument? I haven't even heard it. Like, I don't think that there's a better way to encapsulate some of these um, policies other than what was articulated back in like 2016 or 17. I wish I knew the author of the article who just said that cruelty is the point. There's no, it, there's no moral, it's, cruelty is the point. How could you understand the reality of what is actually happening to real people's actual lives and then put some categorical ban of the most extreme form onto all these myriad, complicated, ambiguous, nuanced, sophisticated, varied, very diverse kinds of situations that require the particularity of that moment, person, dynamic, condition, all of it, to be understood, to know what is right and wrong in that situation, what's appropriate and not, what is the best for everyone, and then just say, blanket, no, we're not gonna allow any of that. That is cruel, I think. Truly cruel. Yeah. Well, and you know, and that's what I think is so underdeveloped with conservatism and especially like, you know, conservative Christian is everything is just kind of 
surface level, very superficial. And it's a lot of out of sight, out of mind. And a lot of these things become cyclical because, you know, we, we focus a lot on people who are in low income situations being probably the most severely affected because they don't have the means to take care of a child once it's born. Um, but it's like, and then, you know, if, if we're going to expect these people to carry out a pregnancy and have a child, then we're also going to be, you know, whole, blame them and be upset with them when they start using welfare. And, and then that's a whole nother argument. So, and again, it, there's never just like this, it, it's very much a, an argument of, of morals being objective in this. Go ahead, Chris. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to touch on uh, while you were there. It's these, the women in the lower income bracket living, you know, below poverty level are overwhelmingly the majority of them are of different races than white. And the issues that they have to face are not only as women, but there are also these systems, systemic racism pieces in place that are affecting them even more in, in these scenarios. And, you know, robbing them of one of the only safe places they have to go for abortion, for not just abortion, but let's be honest, for contraceptives and things of like that, because this is a step in the direction of getting rid of Roe v. Wade. That, that's exactly yeah, what absolutely. they did this for, Chance. They weren't looking for any extra moral high ground or saying, oh, well, six weeks is better than this because right. they're doing it because they want to push it forward until they can get Roe v. Wade overturned. And with the Supreme Court, it feels like their craziness is going on as it is. And I don't understand. They haven't stepped in and done anything. So that's what the whole goal is. So the issue is that the people that are being affected the most by it are the people that already have systems working against them within the overall system in which right. we live. Yeah. Well, and that goes back to, I've said before that I think the state's rights argument is such bullshit. Like I think that in, in some cases, I think that state's rights should trump federal rights, but human rights trump everything. And that this isn't a state's rights issue. This is not an issue that even should be voted upon. And this isn't an issue of, okay, well, you know, if you don't like it, go to another state. Like, no, this is my home. And maybe I don't have the the ability to go to another state. Maybe I can't just find a job somewhere else. Maybe I can't just pick up and go. This is my home. And when it comes down to somebody's personal autonomy and what they do, as long as it's not hurting somebody else, it's not a state's rights issue or a federal issue. It's a personal issue. And that, that, yeah. So I don't know. The state's rights issue for me is always just really, it's, it's so cowardly because it's something so easy to hide behind and to, to rationalize and justify so much shitty behavior. But Chance, I think that to, you know, go with the, the reasoning and try to figure out how, how is it that so many millions of people can be ardently in support of this kind of ban? Um, and what justifies or motivates the conviction that this is a noble and righteous cause to prevent abortion at all costs. Um, and the sanctity of life argument or, you know, to say that, well, you actually are trying to protect someone, uh, the personhood of a fetus who has no 
way to vocalize or defend their own interests, which is presumably to live out in the world, <laughs> this really cruel, fucked up world that's just on fire and <laughs> flooding and full of all sorts of violence. Um, you know, fetuses really want to be born into it. And so people on the right or anybody who is um, anti-abortion seems very convinced that they understand the consciousness and agency of fetuses even when they are in truly like pre-fetal form of just a clump of cells yeah because at six weeks that is not a a baby in there Mm -hmm. (laughs) the pregnancy is not a fucking baby (laughs) so we're not killing babies when we're talking about abortion all the time The, the vast majority of abortions that are conducted are done within the first trimester before this fully formed human idea of a little baby that wants to live has some kind of will that um, is being undefended by the the people on the left who just want to go and murder these babies. So I'm trying to get into the heads of the people who think that what they're doing is really protecting the voiceless here. And um, I wish that we could get deep into the delusion of that to recognize that um, what that kind of mentality does is purely see through a fully sentient, integrated, social, relational, thinking, feeling, human uh, being. I'm not even going to say adult because oftentimes these aren't even adults who are seeking abortions and there's no room for that either. So if you have children who need abortions, fuck them, fuck the kids. <laughs> like, this, No one cares about that either because if you've got um, a zygote that has now in its development in the earliest stages enough to have what they have called a heartbeat for political terms, um, then that's that, whatever that is, that enigma is what we're going to try to like put down as the law to protect that. This is so delusional. it's just absolutely mind-numbing well and i'm like you i hate to be insulting about it but i am truly trying to understand like where the voice of the voiceless is actually coming Mm. in for the proponents of this ban yeah so we're talking about the abortion ban that is taking place in texas that after six weeks makes it illegal for women to receive an abortion how do you what are your thoughts on this so it's just absolutely ridiculous really um, most women don't even know that they're pregnant at six weeks, so it's it's just as dangerous. My faith, I don't really agree with it. However, I think that banning it does not make it any better. It does not make it any safer. If anything, it is a it is a judgment on us not taking better care of those folks that are put in that situation. And so I'm I'm not for it, and I'm not against it. I hate it in general. I guess it's really a good way to sum up what I think. So it's something that you wouldn't personally get, but you you don't think that it, it's people are going to probably do it regardless. And now it's just going to be done in, in more dangerous ways. And it's it's more appropriate for us to make sure that instead of just saying, no, you can't do that. Don't do what you want to do with your own body. It's saying, hey, we've got more resource to love on you and serve you no matter what decision you make. Well, and that's kind of the something that I, I feel like is being overlooked is that a lot of these people... If you're if you're going to mandate that they carry a pregnancy all the way through, well, then after after that, yeah, I mean, are they? I mean, obviously, one of the reasons that they might have gotten an abortion was that they didn't feel equipped to have a child. So, are there going to be social services for these people? Is there, 
you know what's no, no backup plan. No, they don't. <laughs> and I guess I guess I should have mentioned that I noticed that you were from Texas. You have a <clears throat> Texas flag on your mask, so I felt like you had been a, a, an appropriate person to to talk later than me. I I can actually tell you. I, so I'm a member of the Satanic Temple, and I just wanted to tell you that the Satanic Temple is actually taking this thing to court. Uh, they're fighting for anybody that. Uh, you, it doesn't matter what your belief system is, you can become a member of the Satanic Temple. And anybody that is a member of the Satanic Temple, what they're arguing is that abortion is one of those, our religious freedoms that, yeah. we, that we have to carry out in, in belief of our religion. And so it, it's amazing they're fighting back right now against that. So there is people getting ready to go to war with the state of Texas over this. So. Yeah. Well, the, the Chancellor, I'm trying to keep looping around to something that you had said, too. Like, I love the creativity of fighting for abortion as, like, a religious practice that um, is constitutionally protected. Um, <clears throat> but the, it's, like using, it's like using their own medicine. Fighting right fire. Yeah, yeah right. fighting fire. Yeah. yeah. Um, but to, like, just full, more fully, explicitly elaborate the fact that, like, the people who are proponents of a ban like this are willing to overlook full living, breathing people with actual highly developed lives and social connections and consequences, responsibilities, everything else that is constitutes our human lives, that already exists. That exists. And abortion is often sought to protect those things. And so to say, no, now you can't have an abortion is actually to put everything else that constitutes a person's already existent life in precarity and so what that reflects is that because it is often women who are the people to receive abortions as healthcare, there is a clear disdain to borderline hatred i don't know what other word you want to use a disregard to put it lightly for the people's lives the women's lives who are seeking these abortions like that just does not register as valuable mm -hmm. it's not nearly as valuable as this so-called voiceless that needs to be defended because they can't defend themselves. A clump of cells, even at six weeks, seven weeks, whatever it is. Um, yeah. And the, the, the fact that that is like so invisible to people, I think is part of the ideology that is so insidious that shows itself constantly, which is that People don't care about women. People don't care about other people. People don't care about families. George Carlin said it right. You go to preschool, fuck you. But like, what is also really, really twisted about all of this, this is new rhetoric and new ideology, only a couple of decades old, and people are so bought into it that this isn't just men legislating against women's bodies. There are so many women on the right who are ardently defenders of any kind of anti-abortion stance, but that's their thing. And so as a feminist philosopher, <laughs> thinking about the ways that women undermine the feasibility of anything close to like women's rights, reproductive justice and freedom and health and everything like that by being in favor of a ban like this is um, like, I wish there was a stronger way to say like, you've been bamboozled. <laughs> Every, you have been bamboozled. Yeah. Like the delusion, 
I, that's the word that keeps coming to mind, but um, just I'm also in a voting against I'm your trying to like explore what we know and what we believe in and why that is. Yeah. And I, my training was focusing on ignorance and so how ignorance gets produced and the, pol- the political value or political weight of our ignorances that is functional. It does something. So we have now seen, we are living through yet another example of the way that ignorance is so thick and intentionally produced and developed that people buy into it so much that it their own self-interest doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, Full human beings saying, help me doesn't matter. And yeah. an ideology that can be so brand new, it doesn't even hold water, <laughs> can be enough mm-hmm. to get people to throw their everything behind it. It's like an epistemic crisis to match all the others that we've seen in the past recent years of just the disarray and the dissonance that becomes almost untouchable. It's so, so closed to any kind of logic, moral reasoning, like checks for consistencies. (laughs) Like it just doesn't matter. Um, And so I don't know know how we break through that. Isn't that what kind of Christianity teaches though? I mean, (laughs) like, isn't that kind of just what their deal is? I mean, if you sell out to that ideology so much, and I, I should tell you, I used to be a conservative Christian, mm-hmm. and I used to believe that abortion was bad, and I used to believe all of these things. So coming from that side of the tracks, uh, I, I can kind of put myself in touch with former me and former me uh, before I was able to attack those you know false narratives in my life, uh, former me would look at that as exactly like Chance was saying, like, you're killing a baby, you're killing a baby. Until you do research, until you start uh, really going down a rabbit hole just in every area of your life that's like that. And as a conservative Christian, there's a lot of topics Mm -hmm. wrapped up in there. But I just remember overall, like being a Republican was about being uh, anti-abortion. And literally they've, anti-abortion has hijacked, Christianity has hijacked the Republican party, anti-abortion. And and you have to call it ignorance. I really figured that in the age of the internet that we would have uh, more enlightened people and people and people, you know, really getting out from underneath of some of that dogma. And instead, it's kind of seen a shift completely this other way. And I, I think Trump made a perfect example of the lowest common denominator is what, you know, Chance always says. And that's exactly what it is. And that's exactly what abortion plays into your fear that they're killing an innocent human baby. And that's right. not what's happened. Yeah. Well, and that's something I was going to circle back to is that that's a theme that I I, I probably uh, cite more than anything is the lowest common denominator common denominator in the way that that people within that demographic are pandered to because it is such a large demographic and it's really easy to appeal to these people emotionally or in many other ways and so yeah i don't like when you you talk about the the common sense of all of this it makes so much sense to to us when you apply just a little bit of critical thinking to it that like like what you're saying, Corey, it's just so frustrating that other people can't see that and they vote against their interest. And I think that that's just what it comes down to is that we don't, as much as, much as we might say we value education, we don't really value education in this country because if we did, things like this wouldn't be happening. 
Um, I don't think it to the extent that they are, you know, in Texas, for example. So, yeah, I I do really think it's just a really gross um, example of of exploitation of the lowest common denominator. Hi, it's me. So, you said that you're from Texas. How do you feel about the abortion ban? Uh, I think it's a violation to a woman's body to not allow her to be free with it. Okay. What do you expect is going to happen on the national level? I think as of right now, it's going to be confined to Texas just because of the Republican majority there. So. Very conservative. Yeah, it's very... Yeah. Well, how, do, how do you ladies feel? So, I think maybe you'll agree with this. I think you will. Like, one thing that we've been bringing up a lot is that conservatism, this is a really good example of, of the short-sightedness of it. Because if you're going to mandate that these women carry a baby to term, I mean, what then? Or like you're going to offer some sort of social support for them to take care of it? Because there's not like a lot of consideration that goes into place of, of you know, why is this happening in the first place? You know, so it's, it's, it's a deeper rooted issue of like societally what needs to be done. Do you think so? Yes, I think, I think the women, when they do have the kid, they don't get the support they need which leads them to want to have an abortion or whether or not they're ready or not for a kid. So don't make the kids suffer, you know? Yeah. This is at six weeks. Knows at that point, right. though. Yeah. I see. And that's, that's been a, something that I've been bringing up a lot is like, I don't, you know, I personally 18 years ago was part of one and it was past six weeks. We didn't know. So I was talking to a couple of nurses also from Texas just about five minutes ago, and they were arguing that it is a heartbeat at six weeks. And I've been hearing a lot of arguments that it's not. What do you know about that? You know, for me, whether or not it is a heartbeat or not, it's more just like it needs the support of the mom. And it's not really like a breathing, living thing on its own yet. You know what I mean? All right. Well, thank you, ladies. So I have a couple of ideas of where I'd like to go to help kind of think through this a little bit, yeah, because please. I don't know the audience and regardless of who they may be, I think we've said enough like charged words to turn people who are really for the ban uh, off, but there might still be some curious folks. Cool. If so, I'm glad they're listening. Even if there are others who are on the fence or others who like haven't had an open conversation with any of their friends or family about abortion before. I think it would be really valuable to actually practice that a little bit and have some like, let's lift the veil off of this mystery. It's not what people think it is, even when people go through it. So I will share um, a couple of insights that I had in my experience. And then Chris, I would love to hear from you about your like kind of process of coming to change your mind. Like, what was it that shifted your thinking um, from being someone who thought abortion was bad? from a conservative Christian standpoint. So um, on one hand, for me, being trained as a feminist epistemologist, um, and ever since I was like in high school, I was pretty vocally in support of abortion, just because to me, all that mattered then when I was 16, 17, was that like, I don't know what people are going through. They should be able to make their own choices. Clearly, something's happening for them that they know better than me. So like, why would I think I should interfere with that? How arrogant of an assumption to take. Um, so that was me, you know, as just like a pro choice kind of person in high school. But when I got to graduate school and realized that I would need abortion services myself, I realized I didn't know anything about abortion. 
So I did some internet searching and Googling and tried to, you know, figure some stuff out before bringing it up to other friends and saying like, I don't, this is a situation. What can you tell me? How, what do you know? What do you think? And what I realized about um, the key issues of abortion access and, and information being available about it is that I didn't realize that if I were to act quickly enough, because I was clear about my decision, I knew what I wanted, then I had a couple of options available to me for abortion that were very, very easy, safe, effective, without a lot of complications. So I didn't know that there's a kind of procedural abortion, which is where you can be in and out of a clinic within five minutes. And what they do is insert something through your cervix into your universe, uterus and literally suck out the pregnancy that it can be so tiny <laughs> that you can't even really see it. <laughs> like, again, it's not a tiny little baby doll the size of a thumbnail. No, it, this is like a blood clot. <laughs> and that can be done in five minutes, in and out. That's what this big, scary, awful, violent, murderous abortion procedure is, is actually something that is so safe and so easy and can be very accessible. But the other option is the through the medication with pills, which basically is a similar kind of bodily response of inducing a miscarriage. And I'll just say that I think it's really unfortunate the way that abortion and miscarriages are very different experiences, but yet there's a similar kind of like weird cultural issue around talking openly about these experiences. And so when I was told, if you go with a medication abortion, It'll be like having a miscarriage. That didn't mean anything to me. <laughs> what is a miscarriage? I haven't talked to anybody who's had a miscarriage. I don't know what that means. And to me, that's like, you wanted to have a baby and now something went wrong and you're not having your baby any longer. That's a different kind of scenario, but it's still like related to the abortion conversation because people who experience miscarriages also have need to have access to choices depending on what is actually happening with their pregnancy. Um, it's just too complicated. It can be too varied. So anyway, when a doctor says, well, if you take this medication, you're going to be basically inducing a miscarriage. I didn't know what that meant. And what it turns out to be is, well, you can take a couple of pills and then several hours later, take a few more pills that are very safe, safer than Tylenol. And then your body will go through a process that has heavy cramping and a lot of bleeding, like a very heavy period. And the earlier you are in the pregnancy, the easier it is, because then it's a blood clot. <laughs> Again, not a, not a little baby going to stick its head out and cry and beg and plead to live. <laughs> That's not what happens here. So within the first, you know, eight weeks or so, like your options to have those two versions of abortion are so important to be able to act on. And the six-week ban is... Um, as Chance said numerous times, like oftentimes it's before most people can even confirm that they're pregnant. But my experience was that I was seven weeks pregnant and the doctor said, well, we might need to wait a little bit to do this because we can't actually even see it. So you have a positive pregnancy test, but we can't see the pregnancy and we want to be sure where it is before we give you these pills. So they didn't need to go in with a little sucker to get it. So they didn't need to see it. But that's like, that's how early on in a pregnancy that is, six weeks. And so for people who don't have these conversations and don't know what abortion looks like, I think people think it's like you're going in and cutting up a baby inside someone's womb and then yeah. vacuuming out its parts and tossing it into a dumpster behind the building. 
that is so fucking violent, gory, awful. Like that's the story that you're going to tell your each other. Of course, people are trying to scare you into thinking something horrible and atrocious. Yeah. But anyway, abortions can look like that too without the, you know, disregard for like all of the what's actually the like gravitas of a situation like that. But in those like second or third term scenarios, I won't even begin to touch that as if I know what that experience is like or what that decision requires or what the procedure entails psychologically, emotionally, physically. Like, no, I won't assume that because I know that people who go through that, that is their experience. It's not my position to say anything more about it other than to support in the best way possible to make sure that that's available if that's what they need. Well, and what's ironic about any situation like that, I don't think, well, I don't, and I won't generalize, but like, if it's necessary, it's necessary. I trust people. Yeah. I trust people to make decisions for themselves. What's we, I, I feel like as a society, we've gone too long trying to tell other people how they think and they feel. And, and we're finally, I think, as a society moving in the right direction as I'm not you and your perceptions of your reality are real. And I need to respect and validate the things that you are saying because people aren't just saying things to say them. So, yeah. Um, I was going to say what I think is ironic about you had mentioned, you know, like there's the narrative that's pushed that it's this, you know, gory, ghastly ordeal where a baby is cut out of somebody and thrown in a dumpster. I mean, unfortunately, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, a lot of scenarios will look like that. And and yeah, there seems to point. be there seems to be this this thought uh, a lot of the times that if something is unlawful, that means that it's virtuous. And if it's virtuous, it must be lawful. There's always going to be a market for it. Such a good point. Because what you're illustrating of like the likelihood of that kind of abortion being necessary and the kind, you know, where it's like when people say we won't go back, they're talking about those just horrific scenarios where people literally die trying to get Mm -hmm. an abortion because the means are inaccessible, like, unregulated like super sketchy if you can get what you can get out of desperation the the ghastly kind of stories that we're talking about are going to be more likely if roe v wade is overturned just like it was pre-roe but instead of what i was naming earlier of like we don't have the counterfactual like with abortion as it is right now accessible legal for most for the people that it is it's not for everyone but having safe, legal and accessible abortion access is like, means that someone like me, I can go on and live my life without having a horror story like that play out. So there is no counterfactual, but your point chance is actually indicating that what this does is create a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. Well, so and I, th- I think the point I was trying to make different. with like legality is there's the assumption that just because something is made is mandated as being legal or, e- or illegal, people are just going to not do it. Like, no, it's still going to take place. And I don't know, like what I always come back to is th- if your argument is life is sacred, these people don't care about life being sacred. Like, especially, you know, like I said with the Carlin quote, like they don't care about where you are between birth and military age. Um, they don't, they're, nobody's going to step in and say, okay, well, you know, you were mandated to, to have this child. So here's, here's some sort of support for that. There's not going to be any sort of mandate to to track down the father and hold him accountable. So it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a lot of these, these arguments that are supposed to sound moral that you hide behind 
And when you think about them for just a little bit, they just fall flat on their faces. Well, and things like, you know, Family Guy is one of my favorite shows. I just love the stupid comedy of it. It's like, that's what I expected to happen, and that's what happened, and it makes me laugh. But how many shticks have they done about coat hanger abortions? Like, that's a, a, a thing that you hear a lot of jokes about, and it's because it's rooted in reality, because people used to do that to get abortions, and how safe, how sanitary, how anything is that? I mean, it's, it's atrocious. It's yeah. truly awful. It's truly awful. I wish I knew the name of an essay that I read, but I remember reading it in graduate school of um, oh, oh, person's account of her trying to access an abortion, like early, early 70s. And you again, compounding issues. It's like transportation. It's dodging um, the illegality of it while having trusted networks. Like, who do you know if you're fortunate to know someone who has some money who knows somebody else who can do something and then they're they could assault you they could be abusive to you in the meantime and you've got no recourse i mean this is this is the kind of systemic disregard for um care well like that NPR. any kind of like security um that if someone cared about life they would care about the quality of life or the experiences right. of those who are living already just to keep going on beyond you know, tracking down the father or something like that. It's like, look around. No, but it's always that pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality, yeah. you know? Um, but just, I wish people would read the room of the world and say, if you actually care about life, like there's a lot of people who could use your support then mm -hmm. right now. Right, yeah. <laughs> just so many people, millions yeah. and millions of people who could really use your support in um, enhancing their lives mm -hmm. so that they can just live, right. eat, sleep under a roof. Well, and I can say I from experience, water. like yeah. I, I mentioned that I was 18 when, when, um, I, that was an experience for me and I'm almost 37 now. So double the age that I was. And at that time, like I felt bad about it. I felt weird. I felt guilty, but retrospectively like, holy shit, what have my life been so, so differently, different. And I definitely, I know with a fact that I, I wouldn't be able to provide a, a good life for a child at that point in my life. So. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's not, it's not easy, man. Like my fiance and I have six kids together. We both have three kids from our previous marriages and we just spent a three day weekend with all of them. And it's crazy what the bills add up to, uh, just for like eating a meal or taking the kids to go somewhere. Like, like people don't think about those things and you make, you make it work. Obviously I'm not dogging people who are having kids that live below poverty, but what I'm saying is. There are so many expenses that go into having a child that people don't think about. It retire, requires time and resources. It, you know, what, what are the things that you have planned for your life? Well, if you have to have a baby when you're 18 years old, like you can forget about those things. And these are the things that we don't think about. And again, so my, my experience changing from being abortion to, you know, anti-abortion to pro-choice is it was a lot of deconstructing my reality and my dogma and those things that I had within me that were false narratives and Christianity. I mean, losing my belief in Christianity was a big part of that because once you start like finding a, you know, a thread you pull on it and it starts unraveling everything. And, and so I got to this perspective and abortion, I, I feel like was one of the hardest things for me to flip flop on. I feel, I feel like at one point I was like this really strong liberal uh, type person 
But at the same time, I was still like, oh, what about abortion? There's still that thing in my head. And that was one of the hardest things for me to let go of until I understood from the perspective of you, you should respect everybody's beliefs and if they need something. And then the second thing is the majority of women that I talk to are saying, I am pro-choice. This is my body. And as a man, for me to sit there and say, well, I don't care if that's your body, like that's a baby. Even at that point, you have to do a, a, a stop for just a second and go, that's not your body. And you don't understand what they have to deal with in carrying the, a, a fetus, carrying an embryo and then carrying a fetus, which I looked that up as well. It doesn't technically become a fetus until 11 weeks. So this six week ban is even before it becomes a fetus. So it, it's really confusing. And then the second thing to me is understanding where, where, you know, from a religious perspective, like at what point did you gain consciousness or awareness? I mean, like if we're going to go based off of Oh, it's when they have a heartbeat, which at six weeks, they don't have a heartbeat. It's a, it's a cluster of cells. And for me to sit back and first of all, tell a woman what she can do with her body. And then secondly, try to dispute what science tells me is this thing is just asinine behavior. So that, that's, that was kind of my thing was deconstructing what my reality was. And that still was, that's how much power that has though, for people that truly deeply on a deep level believe that. And I don't know how to tell you to get somebody to research or get somebody to change their mind or look at it from a logical and reasonable perspective, because I feel like a lot of people on the right don't walk around looking at things with a logical or reasonable perspective. And I'm not attacking them, but it's just, they stay within their own closed world and they don't let anything inside that world that disagrees with their belief system. So it's, you know, that cognitive dissonance is mm -hmm. so... Anyway. For people who might be like even just kind of like going through their own process, being like, I guess I'm pro-choice, but I don't really know why. Like, I think it's an important exercise for everyone to do because we've all been raised up in the rhetoric and ideology that makes abortion sound like something huge and vague. It's just like a billboard on the side of the road, but we don't know anything else about it. And so like, I think it would be really helpful for people to understand like what is abortion as like an actual procedure what does it look like that's part of why I wanted to share my experiences and then also like um on a kind of philosophical or just like values-based level like what do people believe and why like there's a good exercise of just asking why at least three times you know like so I'm against abortion. Why? Because I don't think it's right for us to kill babies who can't defend themselves. Why? Because babies should be born. Why? Because life is supposed to live. Like, why? There's death all around us constantly. Yeah, just like, drilling down to... All the time. Um, and if you really want to support life at this point, I, I don't know why the climate justice conversation hasn't been big enough <laughs> in, this, in this whole issue around the fact that like the single most important thing you can do for the environment is not have a baby exactly yeah well something that i say all the we're time we're overpopulation as well yeah I mean, we were we're reaching as an unsustainable point with you know a tipping point in, with the planet and you know yeah overpopulation you is one of the big drivers of global warming so. right you don't even have to be like i support women to be a, an abortion advocate you could be like i think the planet 
deserves yeah. <laughs> to be protected. <laughs> and if that's the case, get on a fucking pedestal about abortion then. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and that's... I want the environmental conservationists to be walking around rocking some pro Roe v. Wade merch, like and, for the if, trees. Do it for if, the trees in the water. If, and if you're if you're anti-abortion, you should be all about leaving a better planet for your kids that you intend to fully have, right? Mm-hmm. Like let let the rest of us help make a better planet for that. Yeah, and that's an argument that I make often is we can regulate the 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 numbers of every other species on the planet except for ourselves. You know, like it's not deer clogging up the freeway, it's us. And that's why hunting is justified is that well we have to keep the populations in check and control them. And it's like well they wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a problem if we hadn't had thrown it out of balance in the first place. I was really hoping we weren't going to make the connection to hunting. I just can see that becoming a very slippery slope. Right. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what that was my thought too. It's like yeah, that's that's interesting. They, I mean, I hear scared. the point. Population can. <laughs> but no, that's that's the rationalization for a lot of it is is population control, and it's like, well, why why do we control every other population but this guy isn't a fucking idiot and nobody's telling him how much he can or can't fuck you know <laughs> like yeah chemical the, castration right? the other thing is that actually like because abortion is so normal and has always been around for as long as people have been birthing babies um it is actually a form of our population control that is like deeply embedded in our human existence mm-hmm. like abortion and anything related to like gestation, procreation, raising life, cultivating life, honoring, respecting life. Like abortion has always been integral to that, to any kind of civilization that pays attention to. And when you are like in it, like as humans, we have to be in the experience of like making life happen because we're living. So it's not that we are somehow divorced and distanced from the other sides of that, which is like when pregnancies go awry, when things happen, like pregnancy does not have a perfect narrative from conception to gestation, to labor, to fully formed, functioning, healthy adult, ready to procreate again. Like that's not how the generational system of reproduction works for the human race either. And anybody who isn't fooled into thinking that we have some kind of pristine reproductive course that we all just naturally walk would understand that it's far more nuanced, complex, and messy. Mm-hmm. And so abortion has always been a part of that experience if it's not been super sterilized down to this false narrative about what it's like to actually like have humans come of humans. I think that babies, when they have a heartbeat, that's a human being, you shouldn't kill them. But, as a woman, I understand that there are situations in life that maybe um, a woman should have more of a choice. I think men need more responsibility when it comes to um, procreation and not leaving it all up to the woman. What else you want to know? So this is a good, I'm glad that you brought up the heartbeat point because I'm not a medical person, but I hear a lot of people argue that at six weeks, it's not a heartbeat. It's something else what what would you say about that is there actually like physically a heart yes at six weeks okay so what do you 
you think should occur at the national level? At the national level? It's a good question. I will put it this way, since I don't know you and I'm not sure if this is going nationally or what, I've made that choice once. It was the worst choice I'd ever made in my life, and I regret it for every day since. And so that's why I ride the fence on this, because I would be a hypocrite if I say one way or the other. But it is something that we've delivered babies small, and it is, it's something very sad. And I was kind of coerced into a decision to be made. So um, um, I think people need to do research, and I will say as a woman, if that is a choice that you're thinking about making, it will you'll carry it the rest of your life and regret it and you can't get it back. So it's not just, you know, looking to other ways of protecting yourself because there's a lot of ways out there to um, prevent pregnancy from taking the morning after pill to birth control to abstinence to lots of things. So um, using abortion as the last, okay, like I'll just get rid of my child because, you know, it's not convenient for me, I think is a sad, sad um thing for us as human beings. What I'm concerned about personally is I, I don't think that we look too, very far in ahead at what the repercussions might be if we are expecting women to go to, to carry these births to full term. You know, obviously they were going to make that decision for a variety of reasons. One of them probably being that they didn't have the means or the, or the uh, resources to take care of a child. So... What, are, what would you recommend as an alternative? Well, there are lots of families out there who want children so badly. I've been on both sides of it uh, in the labor room where a mom has given up a baby. You have a wonderful couple who is so anxiously waiting for that baby. And then that last minute choice, the mom wants to keep the baby and heartbroken parents again. Um, it's alive. And um, I had once signed up to be a surrogate mom because, you know, I was able to carry children. And I know a lot of moms that can't carry children people can't have kids so there's there's other choices and people need to think about that and not be so selfish um saying that I me mean, i know i made that selfish decision like i said i i regret it totally um women who facing other conditions of the baby whether it's going to be viable for life or what that's a decision too but i re totally respect women who make that choice to carry that baby to the end and no matter how much life or no life that baby has, that is, it's alive. I mean, what if our parents decided to abort us? We wouldn't be here. So they, a child deserves an opportunity. So maybe one last question is if, let's say that it is expected that, this, that a, a woman maybe in a, in a uh, lower class is expected to carry the baby to full term and she doesn't choose adoption, do you think that there should be any sort of social support for... Well, I will tell you, there is lots of social support. I actually am a nurse case manager for opioid-addicted women. And we have lots of resources for women to help them um, pursue their education, get jobs, take care of their babies. There are resources all over the place. So I do think making that choice to just get rid of your baby is something that needs a hell of a lot of thought because you can do it. And if you choose not to carry it or not to not to give birth and keep it yourself. There are other people who want it and can care for it. All right. Well, thank you very much. Well, I just want to, like, for the sake of the devil's advocate and throw out an argument that I hear all the time. And 
please feel free to just completely destroy uh, this as well is I've, I've heard the argument used a lot is there's a lot of people that want to have babies and they can't have babies and uh, that, 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 that uh, an abortion is a slap in their face like it, because I've heard that argument before is thin and easily crumble easily is that that argument crumbles like what 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 do you say to that because I, I feel like if abortion was access was greater and that they allowed stem cell research to occur that we could probably help cure some of those issues that women that want to get pregnant can't get pregnant um i i don't know as far as your perspective what do you say to somebody like that um i think that's a pretty underdeveloped line of thinking that the a lot of people want to have babies yes and it's difficult for many people to be able to conceive and then carry a pregnancy to term to actually have a baby yes and you know what we have a lot of medical interventions and supportive practices to help people do that we've also made pretty much a billion dollar industry out of it too but there's a lot of support for people to have babies because people want it. Yes. There's also plenty of babies who exist already who grow into toddlers and then adolescent children and beyond who would presumably love to have a stable family who wants them. And so there's no shortage right now of procedures and support to help people have kids. What it is is that it costs a lot of money. And then the second thing is that um, there are there's no sort shortage of humans already that are living and breathing on the planet outside of a womb that could use a family to care for them, to love them, to treat them with tenderness, care, and support and respect. Um, and for anybody who loves life as much as the pro-lifers do, then there's a lot of lives out there that they right. could be saving. Yeah. Um, so I think when people say, if someone has an abortion, that's a slap in the face to someone who's trying to get pregnant, that it is such a disconnect there to say, like, I don't know who's slapping who in the face. Like, <laughs> no, one, no one's slapping anybody in the face. Um, people have different wants and desires, and there are different ways to support people's things. Like, my thing doesn't need to be your thing. And I don't need to get in the way of your thing either. So, like, by me not having a baby doesn't mean that I have prevented that other person who desperately wants a baby from having a baby. If anything, I'd be like, oh man, I wish there were more services available to you that you could afford so that you could actually do what you want to do. And it wouldn't be something that's only available to the people with privilege and resources at their disposal to try to have their own genetic babies in the ways that I think get exploited anyway. Yeah. So for capitalistic reasons, right. but like, um, I think that that's a pretty twisted way of thinking about things. It, and it, I don't know. I think the other thing that comes in is that people be like, but I want to have my own baby. As much as people say like, don't abort, just a, give it up for adoption. Like that's such a fucking mess of a story too. Mm -hmm. um, yes, but it is. If, if someone says like, but I desperately want a baby and someone having an abortion is somehow a slap in the face to my experience, go get a baby. Adoption also costs a lot of money, by yeah, the way. Right. So like, I think maybe we should be getting at are all the regulations and expenses that it, of what it means to actually like take care of children. 
well and that we don't have the systems in place to support people to do that. So we struggle. And then the people who want to do it have to be able to have the money to be able to do it. So if they don't, then kids are left being unadopted. But there's the other really messed up thing that comes in and be like, but I want to have my baby. They want it to be my genes. And that's just like an ego trip. I think people need to get over this. We don't need more of you. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> Again, my abortion is not going to prevent somebody else's genetic material right. from like, yeah, that's a good point. materializing another human or not. One thing I wanted to ask, um, and then... Chris, you're on mute. One thing I was going to ask, Corey, and then uh, if you had anything else that you wanted to end with, that, that would be great is so you mentioned a little bit ago about offering education to people about what is an, uh, an abortion and what does it look like and, and what occurs and what are the different variables at what stage would you say that this education should be implemented like should it be um should it be part of a curriculum and sex ed or is, is it just you know something that would be offered in a, at a college level or how would that look to you I would say that the kind of education our society needs is not necessarily the kind of education that's going to happen through classrooms that are regulated by states and arguments about things like critical race theory and all this other bullshit that's yeah. already propaganda about false narratives of history and on and on and on and on and on. So, like, yeah, I agree with that. So, that's abortion conversations where... into an existing sex ed curriculum, whatever. <laughs> like, when people are pushing for abstinence only kind of based curricula, I think. That's not that's not the kind of education I'm talking about. I would love for it to be as like accessible that it could be talked about in a, pub, a public school setting, yes, because the truth of the matter is that like even kids need this information from middle school, high school on. So fine, make sure that they have it available to them. I would want that, but it doesn't have to come willy-nilly like um, just in this kind of like I don't know what the fear would be that we're um, promoting abortion or something or encouraging it as a kind of right. birth control. Like whatever those things are, are so disconnected from people's experiences. But um, when I say education, I mean, it would be helpful. And maybe I have a low bar. I think it'd be helpful for people who have a vested interest in abortion, which I think is everybody, but people who have experienced abortion have considered it or know people who have and can actually speak to like the concrete realities about what abortion is and why it's so important, that that would be a really helpful kind of education. It's yeah. far more informal. And then that is something that I would say, talk to, yeah, high schoolers about it. If you've got them, nieces, nephews, your own kids, if you've had an experience about abortion, I think that, that is important to talk about with your children too, mm -hmm. just to know. It's not to say like, um, I hate the way that we talk about abortion a lot of different ways. You know, when people say like, oh my God, you would have killed me. Like if you had aborted me, then I wouldn't exist. Like these are like mind games that we play with each other psychologically that are not helpful um, because the reality is like, no, it wasn't you. <laughs> it was a different set of genetic structuring. Um, and so I, the kind of education I would like to see is talking about our real experiences openly with each other, within our families and amongst our friends as early as possible to make it normalized just the way that we should be talking about menstruation, the way we should be talking about pleasure, the way we should be talking about masturbation so that we can actually protect and safeguard people from dangerous and abusive situations, especially when they're kids. Yeah. Because if it's a stigma and it's silenced and it's a secret, then that's how we know that like real violence just festers. Yeah, no, and that's, so, that's great. Um, and I agree with you. I think that 
in the public school system, I mean, that's such a shitty example, but that's like the only thing that comes to mind when you think of like, well, how do we educate everybody or as many people as we can? How do we cast as wide a net as possible? But yeah, well, like when you have people who don't even want their kids receiving sex ed or there's, you know, a problem with accessibility to condoms in school, like, yeah, they're probably not going to talk about abortion or educate on abortion. Um, but yeah, I do agree. I think that, yeah, if it's something that I think the parents definitely or families or uh, friends should um, openly discuss and like you said, normalize and take away those stigmas and the taboos that come along with it. And and chance to elaborate too, like, I think the the way that you phrase that question kind of plants the seed to direct it towards like educating children about this. And I can feel people getting all prickly around that of like, oh, it's too early to talk to kids about things like abortion. Fine, whatever. You said cast a wide net, the broadest net. Look at us. We're three people. We each have our own kind of way to relate into the topic of abortion. Everybody does. I think so many people do. And if you don't have a story of your own about abortion yet, talk to five people and you'll probably get access to one. Mm -hmm. And then now you have a story of not realizing that someone in your five circle of friends had an experience with abortion. But we're not just talking about like 12 year olds or 17 year olds. Chance, you said you're 37. Almost, yeah. We're talking about grown ass adults. Yeah. Like, our casting our widest net is actually by like people just talking about it with other people. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's that's the way that I think we should do this. Like, um, I'm sounding like very anarchist right now of saying like we can't rely on the systems that exist sure. to help mobilize this kind of change. So like, but the people are we are the system. We're mm -hmm. the most fluid and dynamic network that we have. And we are already close to each other. Sure. And so if we can talk even amongst ourselves of those of us who are like pro-abortion, pro-choice or for reproductive health justice and rights, then like talk about it, destigmatize it. And let the, the education is about our experiences, not on some kind of like um, Googling that we did just. And if you need that too, go ahead, process, ask questions with other people. You don't need to like figure this out alone. But I think there's still wisdom in us, like being able to tap into our own experience of realizing we as real intimate people who care about other living beings with complex feelings and experiences, that's enough for us to make this a real topic mm -hmm. instead of this buzzword or like a, a scary thing that we can't touch. Sure. Um, and then the other thing that I think the next level, like a graduated level of education would be getting super critical about all of the ways that abortion comes up from um, jokes to like common colloquial kinds of things of talking about it. Um, the ways that like sperm, I, one thing that I really hate about the counter to bans on abortion or like legislating women's bodies is saying like, well, then men shouldn't masturbate. Let's prevent men from masturbating because all those sperm could have been babies. Like that's actually not helpful. I hate that. <laughs> Because what that is actually doing is indicating too much that like sperm somehow is life. No, mm -mm. no, that's not how that works. Mm -hmm. You need a sperm and an egg <laughs> to make the zygote <laughs> to develop into the embryo to get the fetus, right? Men can shoot their shot as much as they want. Billions of sperm. I don't give a shit about it because that does not equate to me to any kind of abortion dialogue. And so the way that that gets wrapped in and in a way that people think is like cutesy or, or clever, um, I think is actually not helpful because it just reinforces this like 
really problematic emphasis on like sperm being this elevated component of human life force, which it's fucking not. <laughs> so um, I think that we could do a graduated kind of education about all the things that we think when it comes to reproduction. Um, and I, and then, I mean, really understanding if that's not people's favorite, like potluck conversation topic, I get it. Then, you know, just boiling it down to something even more simple of like, let's all go and take some time to be really intentional about who we care about, who we really, really care about. And actually, what does it mean to care? Like, how do you show care? How do you illustrate and demonstrate that you care? Mm -hmm. Because pro-abortion ban kind of people might say that they care about the unborn. But how do they show that they care about the unborn? Yeah, what does sure. that look like? Because I know that I can care about a person by holding their hand if their body is going through an experience. And I can talk to them about what they need and I can listen to them. And so I can care for them in very tangible and concrete ways. So I think beyond abortion, but we're talking about it, so I'll stick here for now. Just know this applies as an umbrella of practice. I think people should think about who do I actually care about? Maybe who do I not care about and why? But for the people I do care about, how do I know that I care about them? And how do I show that I care? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, that's great. Because I think people don't think about those things enough to really justify their own values. Yeah, exactly. And you have to destigmatize, but I feel like you have to depoliticize it as well. Yeah, especially for as far as me having conversations with other people is like, I feel like the first thing that I would need to do is disarm them by saying this has nothing to do with politics. This has to do with having a real conversation about people's experiences in life. And the just you throwing out some of these things, mm -hmm. like we all know somebody that's had an abortion, that's had an abortion. So that right there shocks me into Yes, there are plenty of people around me, and that is a valid uh, experience in their life, a different perspective than I have ever had, and you need to have those conversations and listen. I feel like so many different problems could be broken down if we could sit and talk about them on a human level, not yeah, a candidly. politicized or stigmatized level, and, and much like I told you, the view of killing an innocent baby is so false and it's done that way for a reason it's a scare tactic to get people to buy into something that is because how do you get somebody to agree to something that's going to hurt them in the long term you have to scare them into doing it in the first right. place and i feel like that's all that's used in this entire thing is just scare tactics so depoliticizing i feel like mm -hmm. having these conversations you know you to help destigmatize you have to depoliticize it and just say Hey, this isn't political. This is I want to have a human to human connection. Right. Well, in, Chance, I know you want to wrap up, but I have a couple more points yeah, I no, really want to make. Well, okay. I I mostly just want to make sure that we're not holding you up. So okay, take well, your time. <laughs> I, yeah, we're, I could go we're good. on. We're good. <laughs> go on on. <laughs> no, we're good. Okay, so a couple of things. Like, Chris, I'm glad that you said that too. Like, what if I say everybody loves someone? Not even just know someone, everyone loves someone who's had an abortion. And you say, No, I don't think so. That doesn't mean that it's not the case. It's not true for you. What that indicates is that we've not shared it. It's not known. And so there's a couple of things happening. Like I remember one super powerful conversation I had with someone when I was in college. 
then they were not like explicitly and outwardly identifying as transgender but um I we were like sort of dating ish and I think as kind of like a safety measure they asked like do you know any trans people and I said no and their response was you don't know that you know trans people so it's not that I don't know trans people it's that I don't know that I do right. know trans people you know and that's and I, sorry I'm sorry go ahead well, I think it's the same thing of like, you do know people who have had abortions, you just don't know that you know them. And, and then and that was, so my, my point behind saying that was the fact that I feel like I am really lacking awareness yeah. in my life. Right. So that, and, and not validating those people mm -hmm. that, 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 that could be a, a scenario. And again, that only happens through open dialogue and communication with people and destigmatizing and I'm just thinking about our six kids, like destigmatizing mm -hmm. that in their life. Uh, the same with, I've already had a talk with my son about masturbation because of that simple fact he's hitting that stage, but like it's destigmatizing. So I, I absolutely love that. And it, it kind of really just shed some light on it for me. Mm -hmm. It was one of those aha moments. So. Yeah. Well, and that's something that I've made that argument with a lot of people, especially people that are closer to me, people who are older, who lived in a generation where it wasn't acceptable to be out and proud and loud about it. And, you know, they are under the assumption a lot of times that this is just something fashionable or people are doing it to get attention or whatever. I'm like, these people have been here as, you know, as long as, as everybody else in as large a numbers as they currently are. It's just that they don't have, they didn't have the, they weren't comfortable with coming out with it. Now they can be at least relatively comfortable with it. And not only that, but like you were saying, like not every gay person, well, just to kind of make your comparison to your the trans person you spoke of, not every gay person, for example, is flamboyant and outwardly have, you know, those characteristics that we think of, of a flamboyant gay person. Like it could be some guy that looks like a lumberjack. You don't know, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's when people say, well, I don't know somebody. Yeah, well, you probably do. You just have an idea of what that person is and then yeah. that's probably even for people that go to church every sunday you're probably sitting yeah. next to people on the pews yeah. that are conservative <laughs> christians that will sit there and tell you that they're against abortion but they've had one so. yes that 100 percent is true um but also like the there's a component here of whether or not you're a safe person for someone to share that with so i don't want to be like a proponent of saying like go talk to everybody and have them share their abortion story because like people may not know yeah. whether or not like it's a conversation that's safe to have similar like chance you were bringing up like the lgbtq community and i was thinking about how you know like in the 2000s and 2010s it was very popular for people to be like oh i guess we're making progress on gay rights because people are realizing like i do love someone who's gay or I didn't care about this, or I was like really anti-gay until I realized my kid or my neighbor or my uncle or someone in my family was gay. And then they realized like, oh, I love someone and they're gay. And so now I have to deal with the fact that I've got this competing kind of yeah, tension in my head that says, I think this is bad, but I love this person and I don't think they're a bad person. So how do I, you know, like resolve that? And I think that that process is still very prevalent for a lot of people who are in their own, you know, struggle of trying to figure out what they think about caring for people <laughs> as real full people. Um, but the, there's something similar about that too, of like, 
maybe if we talked more openly about abortion, people would realize that it's something that actually has benefited the people that they love the most. Yeah, they wouldn't so even it's know. not even this like scary sig- stigma of like a scar or a shame secret that like, are you comfortable talking about it? Like, I would love for people to recognize and acknowledge that abortion has fully made my life possible the way that it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have never regretted it because it's allowed me to have abundance and to have security. It has fostered the best parts of my life. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's a shameful secret. I am immensely grateful for it as one of the biggest benefits to happen to me, to allow me to have the life. So anybody who loves me or cares about me should celebrate that too. Yeah. Um, I I did want to ask one, one more devil's advocate question uh, because I feel like I have to give some kind of voice and credence to the issues from the other side. Um, I have no experience with this as I, I've never uh, been a part of an abortion. I've never, uh, obviously I'm not a woman and I haven't gone through a pregnancy, but I do hear a lot of, on the right, I hear a lot of this, well, the woman has an emotional connection with the cells in her body at that point, and that can wreck them instead of looking at probably what the reality of it is, is that it is so taboo that they feel like they're going to be rejected by society. So how do you, like, is is that just disinformation that's used as a scare tactic almost as well? Like if you get an abortion, you're going to feel horrible for the rest of your life because I've heard that line of thinking as well. Um, so many angles to go on that. So, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people are afraid to, have an abortion because of the stigma attached to it. And if anybody found out that they did, um, then they fear being judged by the people that they care about the most, who they need to have support and care for them too. So I don't know, I wouldn't go so far to say um, that there's some kind of biological or emotional bond that happens um, from a like body centric, like a physiological or like a biologically necessary process that a woman goes through um, when she's pregnant. I think that just like heterosexuality, it's often something that we are cultivated and conditioned to have certain emotions for. So um, like Adrian Rich has the um, notion of compulsory heterosexuality, which is that like people are literally grown up to be heterosexual because of the fairy tales and the stories that we're told that say a prince and a princess fall in love. And so then we raise ourselves and our children thinking that like these feelings of love and affection and attraction are natural. And I think that the, all the narrative and rhetoric around like women and maternal instinct and the biological clock and all that kind of stuff is a similar kind of discourse that we can, um, feed each other and then buy into so much that like some people do feel that I'm not going to discredit that, but whether it's coming from an innate force within them, or it's a byproduct of the many, many influences and conditions over so many years of life that have said, you're supposed to be excited about this blessing of a pregnancy. That's God's gift to you because God did this like on and on. It's like there are 24 days out of the year that you can get pregnant. (laughs) Maybe that makes it miraculous. I guess. I don't know, but not necessarily. I, you could not feel great about that too. So I think our human emotions are just far more complex, but the, I would never divorce it from the social, cultural, religious, and political narratives that shape us. 
to have the kinds of feelings that we do yeah. in response to any kind of experience that we have. Yeah. Um, and, and, it, and, and of course, I, I, I feel like we haven't just really hit on this point either. If you want to be anti-abortion, don't get an abortion. I mean, that's don't use your your religious views or beliefs to try and impose laws on mm -hmm. everybody else who does not share your views or beliefs. So it's the same, it's the exact same argument that I would give to somebody that's anti-homosexual is don't be a homosexual. It, why do you have to impose your beliefs upon somebody else's lifestyle? Mm -hmm. And I would push even further because I have publicly, I have publicly gone on the record on YouTube and said, oh, you think you don't like gay things, but have you tried gay things? You might actually like it. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, like, um, I yeah, people don't need to get abortions if they don't want them, sure. But I also wouldn't want to limit people to say like, hey, you know what? Maybe it would be right for you at some point in time. And maybe you shouldn't cut yourself right. off from that. Well, I think that's that taboo again. And when you Absolutely. you make it something that, that can be openly discussed without it being so taboo that it you, that hesitance goes away. And, you know, and then it, it, it is a lot more accessible for people at that point. And instead of it being a moral issue or a virtuous issue. So I have one more point that is kind of like um, going on, Chris, your comment about like, maybe I don't know and there are people around me. Like statistically, one in three women will have an abortion. That's a lot. So like walk around the grocery store, count to three and be like, oh shit, so many abortions have happened like for these people around me. Um, and that's to like normalize it, to make it seem like not this rarity. It's not, it's not at all rare. It's super normal um, and very common to, for people to have abortions. But there's like the other statistic of like one in four women are, will experience rape or sexual assault in their life. Mm -hmm. And those statistics are super real. And like, I don't, I don't know what that does for people. Cause some people might be like, Maybe I need to be more sensitive. Maybe we should stop it. And if we say one in three women have abortions, people might be like, holy shit, that's a ton of abortions. Think about all the millions of babies that have been murdered then. And it could like, you know, create that weird like Holocaust remembrance flag memorial things that people do where they say like a flag is like a thousand fetuses or something. I don't know. It's like so messed up. But people could overreact in that way and say, you know, so there is a Holocaust and the genocide happening for these fetuses. We should protect them. Okay. I want to keep going to the counterfactual. I realize as a philosopher, there are some limitations to our language and no one understands what counterfactual means. But it's like the best way to describe it. Like if there were millions of these babies that were not able to be aborted, where there was not an abortion available to the people who were pregnant. I like that better. That's better language. It's what the people who are experiencing it first. Um, what kind of world would we be living in? Like what sort of systems would be collapsing or would we need to have differently to where you started, Chris, like of thinking about all of this? And what, what would we be doing? We need to actually think about that as like a dystopian kind of reality. That is havoc and strain and stress on all of our systems plus go super super micro and like on a individual psychological level what i see on those flags are millions of people who were forced into a situation that was not what they wanted for their lives mm -hmm. right that's not the kind of world i want to live in Absolutely. that's not what i think of when i think about freedom mm -hmm. and liberty and the pursuit of happiness to pull in people's favorite things 
Yeah. And what's the likelihood that those millions of babies would have also had millions of babies? And, and then we get into the exact same overpopulation issues that they face in India and that they face in, in China. Like there's not enough food to support everyone. So people go without, and that that's a real issue yeah. that they have there. So yeah, well, and again, it would have just continued on a vicious circle. Yeah. Yeah. This is, and how many of those women would have died trying to get illegal abortions? So yeah, right but now they're, they're alive and walking around. They're the one in three that you see in the grocery store. It's better than, seeing one third less women, you know, walking around because they tried getting abortions and it was a failed attempt. So my final, final thing is that, you know, I want people to be thinking about like, who do they really care about? And how do we know that you care? And what does that look like in practice? How does that show up? I think the other question that I really sit on and have been for the past like several years, and I, I think any topic that we talk about when it comes to social justice to like, racial justice to climate to economics like whatever it is I would really love it if people would take some time to just like actually envision what kind of world they really want to live in like go for it elaborate flesh it out a little bit like put some detail on it like what kind of world would you want to really live in because you can't just say I want a world where there are no abortions that's not a whole world. That's a line of a script. Mm -hmm. We need the whole screenplay and the set design. Like, how does that world work? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Like, how do people move through it? Because we're living in a real actual world mm -hmm. and we are totally capable and responsible for what happens to it. Yeah. So we can be intentional of envisioning the kind of world that we actually want to live in, that we want to create with and for others that actually can be a reality <laughs> instead of one line, super bankrupt, fully like eviscerated from any kind of reason, consistency, logic, feeling of a, of a word. Like people cannot build a world, a world off of one word. And so we as people, as a country, just as an existential kind of situation we're in, I think we need to really be thinking about the world that we want to create in positive terms. What does it actually look like? Because right now it's very easy to get caught up in um, a negative envisioning of what's going wrong and then what we want to get rid of. But my practice that I always try to encourage people is to really be articulate and positively describing the things that exist in this world that you want to create. I think a lot of people are aware of Planned Parenthood, but what are some other resources that you could recommend off the top of your head that, that people might use, that women might might um, think about seeking out? Um, I would recommend, again, like any kind of abortion fund. You know, like look up your local abortion fund. Okay. Um, What's an abortion fund? Planned Parenthood fund? is great. What was that? What's an abortion fund? Um, abortion funds are like local agencies okay. that actually assist and support people seeking abortions. I so see. it's not something like at a national level, but they're usually statewide or regional. So um, like Colorado has an abortion fund. There are many in Texas that could use your support. And then again, like I mentioned earlier, the National Network of Abortion Funds 
is a place to go so you can find your local abortion fund okay. if you need to. Another one that I would recommend is Plan C Pills, um, which is a place where you can get a lot more information about the medications that I was talking about earlier and how they can be discreetly mailed to you. These are, are safe and legal pharmaceutical drugs that are used as medicine. Um, they are fully approved by other countries and it's the United States that has regulated them to make them seem like they are somehow not to be made accessible. Um, but Plan C Pills has one and I think that there's also been aid access I've seen recently more prominently um, about how to get medication abortion pills okay. available too. Right, that's great. So and that's that's almost kind of like uh, people buying seeds for marijuana outside of the country and having them mailed in. Uh, and it's really nice to know that that is available out there, uh, maybe for women who are living in Texas during these horrible, horrendous times. So. And yes. Corey, uh, and then I would say follow any other kind of. Um, accounts on social media if you can to help kind of destigmatize and learn some more language mm -hmm. around abortion access and reproductive health and justice and rights um shout your abortion is a really common one just to start because they've like made it really normal to like shout your abortion and say i don't regret my abortion and kind of dispel a lot of the myths of like you're going to be wrecked with guilt and and regret if you do this or it'll lead to depression if you get an abortion and it's not always the case at all so um, finding some resources for counter narratives to um, actually elevate the benefits and the, and the necessity and the value of abortion is really helpful for people who are going through it. And then I would just say for anybody who has an abortion experience, has had or will have, um, that it's totally okay. Like, it's okay. <laughs> to want an abortion, to need an abortion, and to get an abortion. Mm -hmm. And in my own personal experience, I also know that um, if you are courageous enough to be the first person in your own circles to talk about it with your friends, you might actually just be surprised at who can relate and support you. And then in my case, I was so open about my abortion experiences that I had other friends and former students come to me when they got pregnant and sometimes they had an abortion and other times they didn't. But the most important thing is that they just appreciated having someone that they could actually talk through sure. what they were experiencing with. Not all conversations about abortion end in abortion. Sure. Yeah. But that just goes back to education again and being well yeah. informed. And one last thing, Corey, if people wanted to see what you have coming up, any sort of engagements or, or anything, what would be the best way of, of finding you? The best way to find me is through my website at coreywong.com. Okay. Um, and then on social media, you're right. I'm not super active, <laughs> but I'm on Instagram as my philosophy, which is hard to say. I was trying to still. pronounce it today. I was like, um, how do you pronounce this? But I am working on some writing. I started a podcast a year ago that I'm hoping to revisit. I just do weird projects and cool. experimental things all the time. Um, but in a professional sense, I love working with groups and organizations uh, to help develop their skills and competencies to have really critical dialogues, build relationships and make more inclusive and equitable possibilities available for us wherever we are. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'd love to, uh, you know, include you in, in, in future conversations as well. Before we got started in this, I told you that I was I've been really nervous leading up to this conversation with you mm -hmm. just because. Um, it's hard to explain other than to say that as, again, as men, like 
I feel um, like the only place that we have to speak about it is as fierce defenders of your autonomy. And otherwise, like, you know, as a straight white guy, like I, I just really, you know, don't feel like my voice is, is a very important one in this. So thank you for, for, you know, clarifying that that's not the case, but yeah, I've, I've done dozens of interviews and on various topics. And I think that this is probably the one that I've been most ner apprehensive or nervous about talking about. So. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be in the conversation. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. And I'm really happy that you reiterated just how important it is for men to be speaking out about this um, and being fierce advocates for anyone who wants an abortion and really owning it as your issue too. Great. Well, thank you very much. Absol absolutely. I feel like the, our, our voices, whether it be uh, like we've discussed, I wear my Black Lives Matter stuff out and I just want people to destigmatize that just because I'm a white male doesn't mean that I can't also use my voice to speak up for things that are really shitty in this country right now. So, uh, doctor, I just really wanted to thank you for coming on with us and talking. It's been a pleasure discussing this topic with you and you enlightened me, uh, in a great many different ways. And Absolutely. so I think just being more aware of my environment and I, and I think that'll lead to, uh, just life bringing conversations with other people. So thank you very much. All right. Well, yeah. thanks again. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well, if you don't have any questions, we can go and get started. Okay, are we going to be seeing your ceiling the whole time? No, too? so so you're gonna yeah, <laughs> he, like he usually does. This is uh, <laughs> really? yeah, this is just an audio only podcast, so you won't. There's no visual anyway. Yeah. So no visual. Yeah, sure. um, I'll I'll imagine you as that sharp ninety degree angle in the corner. Then okay, that's a, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have been, very... I have been told I'm pretty sharp. So I was going to say it's a very crisp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.